Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Christians, if you want to protect your children from this, you need to develop right now a pretty healthy understanding of civil disobedience. You cannot be a soft presence here in Sodom and expect your children to be okay. We have seen this huge increase in pet ownership in our country, and I think some of it is this desire for women to continue to mother someone or something, and pets have become really a surrogate to that because of the fact that we've decided that children are not the best way in which we ought to live our lives as women and mothers anymore. Read through the whole New Testament and all the explicit passages about baptism, and if you just, I think, ask that pretty basic question of, Who's doing the work in this passage? Is it man or is it God? Universally, it's it's God doing the work. It's something that's happening to you. Our defense is the strength of God's word, the testimony of God's spirit in our hearts through that word, through his sacraments. In all these ways, God is preserving us in the faith and defending us against all of these snares. Lutherans at the Old Latin School in Lutherstadt Wittenberg love issues, etc. We have spent 17 hours talking about this subject. Is there a way to take the proper distinction between law and gospel and maybe in a sentence or two summarize it for someone who has no idea whatsoever what this approach to God's Word is, how it is that the key to understanding God's Word is to understand that God speaks a language. He speaks a language of law and gospel. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Monday afternoon, November the 6th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to conclude our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel, answering your questions on the subject with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Pastor Chris Rosebro will join us a little later for this week in pop Christianity. Today, Jensen Franklin's teaching on the importance of not forgetting your dream. And then Noel Merring, fellow with the Ethics and Public Policy Center, will be alongside to discuss the strategy of woke ideology. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He is author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands, and he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. I want to start by reflecting on... The influence, I'm searching for a word here, it's not impact or influence, but really the way that this proper distinction between law and gospel has shaped your ministry as a pastor. I know for me, it kept me out of the ditch, so to speak, on either side of the preacher's kind of dilemma there is to maybe to preach kind of generically, maybe that it's a lazy preacher, or to fall off on the other side and to climb up on his hobby horse this distinction and the lectionary system that we use, I think, kept me honest as a preacher. What about you? 
Yeah, I think it's really important when we reflect on how we preach that we we see that this this whole gift of keeping these two doctrines straight in our preaching and making sure that we don't like I like to put it like this that we don't build a bridge from the law to the gospel. That is the what I think sets Lutheran preaching apart as being truly distinctive, particularly when this is done really, really well. And if somebody wants to see an example of how it's done, I'd refer them to Pastor David Peterson's sermon that's up on the Gottesdienst website that he did for an English district pastoral conference. It is so perfect. It's number one, just classic David Peterson, but it nails this distinction and it does so in a very biblical expository way. I mean, he's literally working his way down through Psalm 141 and he does so with this, he lets the law punch fully. I think that's just one of the best things we can say about if you really get the proper distinction between law and gospel, it will give real teeth to your law. And that is is what makes the hearing of the gospel when you announce it be so very, very sweet and wonderful. Jeff in Florida says, a master class of a series. Thank you for it. Pastor Whedon, so much of what Dr. Walther addressed in the late 1800s is still very much present today. What law and gospel commingling errors are most pervasive in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod and in American Christianity in general today? Jeff, thank you for calling it a master course. I have to confess that really all Todd and I did was work our way through the book and read sections of it that we highlighted and marked and said, these are so good, we just can't skip this part. But I will tell you, we did end up skimping an awful lot of the book. So there's so much more out there that anybody can dig into. First, to answer your question, I would say, look to thesis four. The law is not preached in its full sternness, and the gospel is not preached in its full sweetness. That is one of the big dangers of today. Let me give you the example that I know I've given it on this show before, but I'm still shocked whenever I think about it. I had a field worker. He wrote a beautiful sermon. He took back home to deliver, and his home was on the left coast in California. And when he got there to deliver it, the pastor would not let him tell the congregation that they were sinners. He said, that will make them feel bad about themselves. And we don't want to do that. And I was remember being like, he came home, to, you know, when he came back to, to St. Paul's, he told me this. And I was like, what? What did he say? I was just shocked. But I can promise you then, because he will not allow the people to be confronted with their very real sin, the result is the gospel is going to be anemic in that parish and the law is going to mostly be a yawn too. So I think that's a real danger that's in our synod as a whole. And it mostly stems from pastors not wanting to pile condemnation on people. And so the desire to sort of tone down and soft pedal what the law actually says so that people are not hurt by it or not cut by it. I always remember hearing Corby describe it like this. He said, you don't have to shout and scream at people. I, I need to remember that because I tend to get worked up when I preach. But but he said, you don't need to shout and scream. The, the law is, is like a Doberman. You just undo it from the leash and say, kill. And off it goes and does its thing. Another thesis that I think is really important, thesis number 10. And what Walther describes there is law and gospel getting mixed up 
where faith is described as some sort of an inert acceptance of biblical truths, even while a person happily goes on living in mortal sins and thinking that their mental assent to the faith is somehow being salvific. I think that is a very great danger, not just in the Missouri Senate, but in the church as a whole today, and something that we need to uh, be very alert to. Then also thesis number 18, where the law and gospel are not rightly divided, where the universal of corruption of mankind is described in such a manner as to create the impression that even true believers are still under the spell of ruling sins and are sinning purposefully. I mean, so you get this, well, we're all sinners after all. And with that kind of an attitude, you have no actual call to repentance for specific sins in people's life. And the impression really is given that God loves to forgive. I love to sin. And this is such a deal. It's a great thing to be a Lutheran, right? You don't have to worry about all that stuff. Ugh, that is the exact opposite of what Walter is trying to set forth in his proper distinction of law and gospel. And then one more thesis that I would, well, actually two more um, I, I want to pick up on. Thesis number 20, that the law and the gospel are not rightly divided when a person's salvation is made to depend on his association with some visible Orthodox church. This is particularly the way that people grab our pastors and people in the, you know, the Roman Catholic and the Orthodox apologists kind of work on this, I don't know what to call it, an acid of doubt that they place into people's hearts and minds about the very promises of God, whether or not they can really apply to you if you're not in their communion. And I think that is a very, uh, very present and dangerous thing in our world today. And finally, the thesis uh, number 21, the sacraments working ex operata, we would say, automatically or that they, they just the mere performance of the act is all that you need without actually dealing with the fact that in all of these acts, God is making a promise and that promise must be believed. It must be held onto by faith. And so this kind of gives the impression that just coming to communion is itself salvific or just having water poured on you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is itself salvific, even apart from faith receiving what God is speaking there. I think those are things that do need to be addressed among us. Ben in Wisconsin says, thank you for the series. It seems to me that the whole process Walther teaches is almost medical. He's teaching seminarians how to properly administer the medicine of God's word and asserting that there are definitely wrong ways to do it. That said, do you think more laity should read his lectures? Can they be applied to everyday conversations with people? Yeah, the short answer is yes. It's one of the reasons I'm really glad we did this series. Laity will be blessed by reading Walther on this topic. And yes, they can indeed be applied to everyday conversations because Walther himself is just so down to earth in the way that he explains all these things and in the way that he preaches. So another way to get at Walther's great insights here is to pick up CPH's God Grant It. That's a daily devotional which is nothing but excerpts from Walther's sermons. And it would be a mini course in Walther's own application of law and gospel. I've been using it quite a bit this year, and I find it to be a, an amazing resource. I, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're concluding our 18-part series 
on the proper distinction between law and gospel. On the other side of the break, a question from Andrew. Top three theses and great thanks. I think he might, might have been the one who suggested the series in the first place. Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. The Christian religion is not like a buffet line, a modern smorgasbord of beliefs offering a wide range of tempting choices. Rather, it is the good deposit handed down to us in the scriptures through the history of the church that we might believe and confess who Jesus Christ is. To learn more about Pick and Choose Religion, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. To subscribe, visit cph.org witness or learn more at our website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Clear, concise, consistent. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Are you tired of those who change their Christian confession because they are ashamed of what they are called to believe in today's world? Scripture is clear on issues which many would like to claim are cultural but have no place in God's church. We at Zion Lutheran in Barris, Wisconsin, and St. Peter Lutheran Clintonville are not embarrassed to boldly confess that Scripture is God's revelation of His Christ, our Savior, the only peace, comfort, and hope in our fallen world. It's why we gather each week to receive Him who comes to us in word and sacrament. For service times, visit zionstpe.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're concluding our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is our guest. And we're giving away copies of Law and Gospel, How to Read and Apply the Bible to listeners with the best questions or comments. 1-877-623-6943, 877-623-MYIE. Our email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. And our Twitter address, at issuesetc. This question comes from Andrew. Out of all the great theses, what would you say are the top three that the lay Christians should particularly keep in mind? Thank you and Todd for this excellent series, and thanks for taking my suggestion a while ago for a series. Oh, Andrew, that is really, really mean. And uh, (laughs) I'm not going to be able to say just three, but I will tell you, I would lump Thesis 1, 2, and 3, which Walther started out with as being 
beyond shadow of doubt, the most important for a layperson to know. And these, remember, say that the entire doctrinal contents of the scriptures, both of the Old and New Testament, are made up of two doctrines differing fundamentally from each other, that is the law and the gospel, and that only he is an orthodox teacher who not only presents all the articles of faith in accordance with the scripture, but also rightly distinguishes from each other the law and the gospel, and that rightly distinguishing the law and the gospel is the most difficult and highest art of Christians in general, and of theologians in particular. It's taught only by the Holy Spirit in the school of experience. Those initial lectures where he treated all of those theses are just very, very, very key and foundational, and I can't recommend any of them above the others. They they just really are good. And the Luther that he quotes in them is sheer gold. I would add, if you're looking at the theses on how they can get confused in all of that, that perhaps that 10th, which I already mentioned about the word of God is not rightly divided when the preacher describes faith as a mere inert acceptance of truths or facts, even when the person's living in mortal sin. I think that's a very, very important one for our own day and age. And then also thesis number 23, in the 19th place, the word of God is not rightly divided when an attempt is made by the demands or the threats or the promises of the law to induce the unregenerate to put away their sin and engaging in works and thus become godly. And on the other hand, when an endeavor is made by means of commands of the law rather than the admonitions of the gospel to urge the regenerate to do good. So when a Christian's thinking about the doing of good in their own lives, we need to recognize that this impulse to do good flows not from the law, which states what a person's life is to be, but it has to flow from the gospel itself, which declares God's infinite love for us in his son. And then finally, that last thesis where Walther states that the gospel itself in all of our preaching and all of our teaching and all of the church's life, everything about us should be predominated by the gospel. It should be the ruling thing. So I know you said three. Well, I'm sorry. That's my like six. (laughs) That's the narrowest I could bring it down. Noah via Twitter says, how does a preacher maintain a predomination of the gospel? That's the last thesis. While using a lectionary, said another way, how does a preacher teach the whole counsel of God while caring for individual needs, all complicated by the communal setting of the divine service? No, I have to confess that when I read your question, I was kind of like, uh, I'm not sure that I'm seeing the same problem you're seeing. Because to me, as Pastor Wilkins said at the top of the hour, the lectionary is actually just really awesome for presenting the whole counsel of God and from keeping us from harping on our own little hobby horses. It covers the whole life of Jesus in a year, and with that, the life of the Christian in Jesus. Now, as to letting the gospel predominate in the sermon and in the teaching, well, I think that the key to that is actually interior and spiritual rather than exterior and technical. What I mean is, Let the preacher himself taste and drink from the sweet fountain of the gospel. Let its joy animate his faith and witness, and then the gospel's predominance is going to take care of itself. 
which is why Walter spends so very much time trying to make sure the young men before him have tasted that sweetness for themselves, that they know what it is to live in the full assurance that because of what Jesus Christ has done for them, they have the forgiveness of sins and they are assured of a place in heaven through his blood. Phil in Uruguay says, why is the proper distinction been so narrowly interpreted as a treatise on homiletics that is preaching? How might this be rectified moving ahead for the good of the life of the parish and for the Christian's informed reading of God's word? There used to exist in print a condensed volume of the proper distinction titled God's No and God's Yes, perhaps more intended for laity. Would you find merit in publishing this again or encouraging readers to go to the original source? Yeah. Now, I have to confess that I firmly believe as Issues Etc. has always done from its inception, that an educated laity is not only possible, it's not only desirable, it's wholly necessary for the church's life. So I'd encourage laity who want to dig into Walther's lectures here to do so. There is the new edition from CPH, which we actually didn't use much in this series, but which has all kinds of helpful explanatory notes along the way, which President Matthew Harrison translated and put out. And it's really great for digging further into the matter. But I'd also point out that the foundation of this is actually in the formula of Concord, where it deals explicitly with the distinction of law and gospel, and that every congregation really should go over that in the adult Bible class at least. It should be well known to the people that this whole beautiful light that shines from God's Word, when we allow these two to remain in their own spheres— It is one of the absolute best treatments you're going to find. And it's like getting all the good of Walther, but in a much more condensed form. So I would recommend all the congregations actually begin with studying the formula of Concord together and looking at those things. You can even use the epitome as our dear Dr. Nagel said, life is short. So the epitome is provided so that you don't have to slog your way all the way through the uh, solid declaration. Although that's got a lot of gold in it too. Tom in Indonesia How do subtle forms of antinomianism, you'll need to explain that term again, threaten our understanding and application of the third use of the law? Okay, well, antinomianism means literally against the law-ism. Basically, the thought is that the law doesn't really pertain to the Christian at all. He doesn't need to worry about it. So let me state, though, his question seems to imply that we have some sort of ability to apply the third use of the law. And I I really want to clarify that. We do not. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He does different things with our proclamation of the law, and we do not have the ability to manipulate that. One of the things that he does with the law is what we call the third use, which specifically informs the Christian about God's will and God's law then serves us as a guide. The subtle forms of antinomianism have never departed from the Church of Christ. So from the very beginning when Paul preached, he had to clarify, like this he says in Romans 3.8, and why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. 
See, they heard Paul extolling how this grace worked, and so they thought, well, fine, then we'll just go ahead and be evil, and God will turn it all to good. We don't need to worry about it. Similarly, in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound, since grace abounds wherever sin abounds? He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Same thought is picked up in Jude 1, or Jude 4, rather. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the basic mark of antinomianism that faith is extolled in such a way as to imply that people can continue in persistent and willful rebellion against God, and it's all going to be okay. Because after all, they've been baptized, they hear the word often, they come to communion a lot, so they don't need to worry about basically telling God, take your law and go somewhere with it. I don't want to pay any attention to it anymore in my life. That's the challenge of the antinomians. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are concluding our 18-part series on the proper distinction between law and gospel by taking your questions and your comments. When we come back, Mark in New Mexico has a question about summarizing the proper distinction between law and gospel in a sentence or two. We'll see if Pastor Will Whedon is up for that next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our study of the book of beginnings, Genesis, with Enosh to Enoch, Methuselah to Noah, corruption increasing, God speaks to Noah, and God's covenant with Noah foretold. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. You're personally invited to join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in celebrating the theme, Just As I Am, January 14th through the 20th during Life Week 2024. Each theme day will explore a distinct aspect of life ministry through local activities, online educational events, interviews, and more. Find out more at lutheransforlife.org. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. In this wonderful month of thankfulness, we thought it would be a great time to say a huge thank you to Pastor Todd Wilkin, Jeff and their team. For almost 10 years, they have opened their broadcasts to Ad Crucem and allowed us to share our products with their listeners. Thank you to Issues Etc. And thank you, dear listeners, for all your support and patronage over these years. 
God bless you from Ad Crucem. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. When we say Lutheran, we mean Lutheran. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is it hard? Yes. Will it challenge you? Absolutely. Is it a blessing from God for you and those you will serve without question? Dr. Lawrence Rast, president of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. The pastoral ministry is all of these things, and that's why Concordia Theological Seminary exists to form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Men from all over the world with a variety of unique backgrounds come to our campus to receive faithful training that will equip them for the challenging but blessed work of serving as pastors in Christ's church. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Christ-Centered Worship Confessional Theology Lutheran Community, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. It's the conclusion of our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Pastor Will Whedon of the Word of the Lord endures forever. A tall order from Mark in New Mexico. He says, thank you, Pastor Wilkin of Whedon, for this great series. It makes me want to dive in and read the book. I expect it would be difficult to convince a Baptist or Presbyterian friend or family member to listen to an entire segment on this topic, much less the series. What is a one or two sentence summary of the proper distinction between law and gospel that a Lutheran could share that might do justice to it. I realize that is a tall order since CPH's book, God's No and God's Yes, is already a consolidation of Walther's theses and it's 100 pages long. So perhaps it's better to ask, what would you suggest for a solid one-sentence conversation starter? Okay, that is a, a really great one, Mark. First, I would note that most Presbyterians, at least of the confessional Presbyterian sort, would likely get the distinction, and they already sort of have it in their tradition slightly differently than we do. But years ago, I think uh, Dr. Herman Zasa gave you your one-sentence starter on the proper distinction. He used an analogy of a railroad track. You know how the, 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 the two uh, rails have to be laid perfectly parallel all the way through? And how if you just alter one of the rails the slightest bit, maybe even half a centimeter off. As time goes on and it follows that trajectory, it's going to get further and further away from the one that it was parallel to. Well, Hermans also says that's sort of how it works when we talked with our Reformed brothers and sisters on this question. There is one subtle difference, and he put it like this. He says, for the Reformed, the forgiveness of sins is the chief content of the Christian gospel in the strict sense, gospel in the strict sense. But for Lutherans, the forgiveness of sins is the sole content of the Christian gospel. So I think with your conversation starter, I would begin along the lines, if you're talking to a fellow Christian about, so tell me how you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, because then that opens the door for you to hear them out And very, very likely when they're done talking and you've done listening to them, they'll ask you, so what about you? How do you guys understand the gospel? And that gives you the opportunity to note the similarities and the distinctions between them and us 
and to show how adding the smallest bit of law into the gospel always ends up introducing uncertainty, and the result is that it inevitably overshadows the gospel gift itself. And so I think that's how I would get into it. Is the forgiveness of sins the sole content or the principal content of the gospel? William says, how do you use law and gospel to determine what is sin for Christians today? Well, you know, William, the law hasn't changed and it never will. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So the law makes clear to us the shape which love is to form in our lives. And the Ten Commandments sketch that out for us in detail. The Lord's summary, likewise, when he said, love the Lord your God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself, or as St. Paul said in Romans 13, love is the fulfillment of the law. So from the Ten Commandments especially, we're able to turn to any population of any time and be able to clearly express what is the will of God for this people. This is a very interesting question from Chloe. Your series on the distinction between law and gospel has been helpful for me since I'm doing a study on this subject with some evangelical friends. Thank you, Pastors Whedon and Wilkin, for your guidance. My question for Pastor Whedon is, how do we prevent preaching from becoming cliché when using the law-gospel paradigm. My family briefly attended a Lutheran church where the pastor had all but given up on the distinction between law and gospel in his preaching. He told a story to support his decision. He was speaking to a young man who had stopped attending church and, like a good Lutheran, was preaching the law to him first. The young man apparently looked up at him with a smile and said, I know where this is going, implying that he knew that the pastor was about to move from law to gospel. This stunned the pastor, and he used this story to show that preaching law and gospel can lose its impact quickly. I have a feeling this pastor misunderstood how law and gospel are properly used. I don't think we should try to force a law gospel paradigm on a text. Would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, uh, great, great, great question and, and great, great thoughts there. First, our dear friend, the sainted Paul McCain, he famously noted this same unfortunate thing happening among us. He said that sermon after sermon after sermon that he heard went along these lines. Well, we're all sinners and we're all guilty of original sin and of actual sin. Good thing Jesus died for your sin. Now go and take communion. <laughs> he said, ah, this is not what Walter was intending at all. It's the exact opposite of actually allowing the law to be heard in its severity and the gospel in its sweetness. And I suspect that the problem lies first in our not preaching the law in its full severity. I mean, I have no idea what this pastor said to the young man, but, you know, if I was thinking of a law passage that's rather devastating on this, I would turn to John 10 and my sheep hear my voice. And also, and then in, in John 8, the reason you do not hear is because you are not of God. I mean, lay it on them like that. If you're not listening to the voice of Jesus, you're not one of his sheep, period, the end. So if you can state that very clearly to a person, I think all of a sudden 
they become much more concerned. They're not going to be like, ah, I know where you're going with this. They're going to be like, wait a minute, what do you mean? And I'll say, hey, I'm only telling you what Jesus himself said. If we tend to his word, we are truly his disciples, and we'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. But he also says that the reason people don't hear him is that they're not of God. So you're not listening to him. Doesn't that say where you are? I think that's a very different hearing of the law than, well, you know, you really need to go to church, don't you? The good Dr. Jeff Gibbs cleared this up for me with just one phrase, because it is true that a misunderstanding of the law of gospel distinction can lead to, as Chloe says, every sermon a mm-hmm. cliche, this basically every text ends up saying the same thing. Yeah. And, and that ends up being not much. In the same words, and actually it's not really the text. He just said, the gospel never trumps the text. When you're preaching a text, when you're reading and interpreting a text, let the text speak. Don't be so quick to say, well, but, but where's the gospel in the text? Yeah. And then what you end up doing, I think what he's trying to prevent among his students was them saying, well, I'm going to have to force the gospel on this text. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm going to have to do, I'm, I'm going to have to do violence to the text to get the gospel out here. And to me, that just betrays the fact that they really don't believe that God speaks that language of law and gospel and can actually preach the text better than they can. Yeah, I think that's that's very good. Very, very good. As usual, Gibbs is wonderful. I had a friend, Dr. Kevin Armbrist, I have a friend, who, uh, who points out that in our preaching, th- there's a terrible tendency to say, like, and you can't. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And, and so we say, you can't. He says, stop that. Instead, you should preach, you don't. Do you hear the difference between those two? It's like, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the fact is, you don't. And as soon as we hear it like that, I think God has our attention then. We're ready to hear more on that. So the law heard in all of its full sternness does not leave a single smug soul smiling and saying, I see what you did there. Instead, it just reduces our self-sufficiency and pride to dust and ashes And then we really are in a position to hear the gospel, to want to hear the gospel in its full sweetness and not to yawn saying, yeah, yeah, I already know that. Jesus loves me. How sweet. Then you taste the joy of being talked into Christ's actual doing of the law for you. Jacob in Pleasant Hill, Iowa has a similar concern. He says, I've been hearing more and more people lately saying that most Lutheran pastors preach too much long gospel. They say things like every sermon is the same or it's eisegeting to force long gospel into your sermon text, how do you respond? Well, this is kind of related to the one that we just talked about, about it becoming formulaic, and it is a real concern. But really, the challenge is simply for Lutheran pastors to pick up our heritage and do what we were taught to do, to preach the text. Law and gospel are hermeneutical tool for unpacking the text and are used in such a way that they arise out of it. So for, let me give an example. If we're preaching on Ephesians 5, 1 to 9, well, then the law is going to deal with sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness. And it's going to note how St. Paul identifies covetousness as another form of idolatry, making a God out of something that is not God at all. And how he simply declares that anyone who practices these things can count on having zero inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And he's like, don't let anyone sell you a bill of goods on this. Well, I mean, that's pretty strong law. But that text also has very sweet gospel in it. 
that while you were at one time in that darkness, now you're in the light and in the Lord. So walk as children of light. And the light is of the Lord who loved us and gave himself for us as a sweet and a fragrant offering to God. So that's all right there in the text itself. And if you took that text and you preached on the fall of Adam, leading all people to being sinners, and that Jesus bore divine wrath upon the cross to free us, that would be eisegeting the text because the text itself gives you a very different shape of law and gospel that you are to preach. So attention to the text is honestly the key. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're concluding our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. On the other side, Jeff in Rhode Island has a question about the Ten Commandments. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. Quality, quantity, qualified. You're listening to Issues Etc. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. The Evangelical Lutheran Church holds that it is God who raises up men to serve His Holy Bride through His Office of the Holy Ministry. At Concordia University, Chicago, we prepare men to take the first step on the path by which God leads them to his pastoral office. Are you ready to take the step? I'm Dr. James Ambrose Lee, Chair of the Division of Theology at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more about the pre-seminary program at CUC by visiting cuchicago.edu. cuchicago.edu. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're concluding our series with Pastor Will Whedon on the proper distinction between law and gospel. If you have enjoyed our Law and Gospel series, please join the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. It's the primary source of revenue for this worldwide outreach. Membership benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for your confessional Lutheran church. 
You'll find the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the support donate page at issuesetc.org or just give us a call, 618-223-8385, the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. Jeff in Rhode Island has this question. I've been teaching the Ten Commandments section of our confirmation class for a number of weeks. We're finishing up this section with the close of the commandments, law and gospel. We're using Luther's small catechism with explanation, as well as the Faith Alive student Bible and materials developed by our pastor. The students are in sixth to ninth grade, and the sessions are about an hour long. We'll be covering some final material as well as a quiz this class. Do you have any suggestions for a summary or other thoughts that might be helpful? Thank you for all you do. Well, blessings on the catechesis of the youth. <laughs> That's got to be one of the greatest things in the whole church, to be able to see Christians all working together, pastors and lay people, and passing the faith on to the youngsters. Glorious thing. I'm going to punt on the question to something that my friend Dr. Lee Maxwell taught me some years back. He pointed out that God's promises are only as good as his threats. So if you believe God's threats, then you fear him. And if you believe God's promises, you will love him. So you can point out how the conclusion of the commandments actually circles right back around to the explanation of the first commandment. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. The trust at the end is the key to both spirit-wrought fear of God and spirit-wrought love of God. But it all starts with taking him seriously in what he says to us. Dick says, I've been taught both that Lutherans believe in the doctrine of election, but also that a saved person can turn from the faith and lose his salvation. But in the 13th thesis, number six, it says every one of the elect will surely be saved. So is the issue of a believer losing his faith only temporarily for a time, but in the end he will surely be saved? How does this sound like the tulip point of the perseverance of the saints from Calvinism, which is really God's work, not the Christian's work? Anyway, please set me straight on what appears to be a contradiction in Lutheran teaching. Yeah, it's a really excellent question. The, the, the fact of the matter is that the scriptures very clearly teach that it is possible to fall away. These are those who believe for a time, but, Jesus says, you know, in times of persecution, they, they let go the word. Um, his famous parable of the sower and the seed. So as they believed, would we speak of them as the elect? When we deal with the concept of the elect, we need to recognize ultimately the word describes those who will persevere in their faith through to the end. Can a believer at any point in time comfort himself with the promise of election? Yes, he should. Every believer should take seriously the word of God that God shows us in his son before the creation of the world. The way that Dr. Pieper put it so beautifully in his Christian dogmatics was that what he chose to do for you in time, he determined to do for you from eternity. And when you have that comfort, then you're going to be clinging to that. But it does not mean that you should then rest on your laurels and say, hey, 
I'm saved. I don't ever need to worry about falling away. No, falling away is clearly always possible. Johann Gerhardt put it like this when he was describing the danger. He said, think of it like this. An angel fell in heaven. Adam and Eve fell in paradise. And Judas fell under the very tutelage of Jesus Christ himself. So you'll never reach a place where you can have this absolute security. You can have certainty in God's promise, but you must have no certainty in your own persistence in faith until the very end. You must simply always turn to him and plead for the gift of perseverance, which he delights to give. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Lutherans have, I always like to say on that part of the tulip, we are we teach the perseverance of the saints kind of sort of, <laughs> because we definitely teach that it's possible for anyone to fall away and we need to guard against that and pray that God would preserve us in saving faith. And we know he wants to preserve in saving faith every person in the world. He wants to give the gift of saving faith to everyone. I think the major difference between the Calvinist view of perseverance and where one looks for assurance of one's salvation and that of the Lutheran Reformation is really found in the sacraments. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm so glad you, you said that. Because, right, I mean, the Calvinist is going to point to something in God's eternal election from before the foundation of the world, right? It's, that's the, the source of his comfort. But a Lutheran goes to, well, Jesus gave me baptism, and he promised me there that my sins are washed away. And he gives me the holy absolution, and he promises me there that heaven itself is open to me when the absolution is spoken. And he gave me the sacrament of the altar. He gives me his body and blood into my mouth, and he tells me, this is for you and for the forgiveness of your sins, and I can rely on that. I can look at the cross and know there my sins are answered for entirely. So where the, the Calvinist, I think, would move us back to before time, the Lutheran would simply point you to the promises of Christ, connect it to the means of grace. And we might remember that when Walter got to that thesis, it went on and on and on and on and on because he really wanted to drive that home to people. Someone might ask this question, Will, before we get to our final question from Brad, and that is maybe just having listened to this episode, well, does this mean that the Bible is half law and half gospel, or that a sermon should be more or less a 50-50 split between law and gospel? The answer to that clearly is no. The Bible is not half and half, and the two doctrines permeate and penetrate the whole of the Bible, and they kind of need to do the exact same in a sermon. When we talk about the gospel predominating, we're not talking about more text. We're talking about its impact, that it has the greater impact. Because, frankly, raising the dead is greater than killing. <laughs> you know, the law kills, but the gospel raises the dead. And that's more astonishing and will fill you with ever greater joy. We end with Brad, who says, Every time Pastor Whedon is a guest on Issues Etc., it's a must-listen to that episode for me. He brings genuine passion and terrific insight into any subject he's talking about from the historical liturgy, various hymns, or going through the books of the Bible verse by verse. I am currently working toward a career change and joining the seminary when I've finished my college courses. Having this commentary for a book, I will be reading through it at least once a year, and it'll be a great help. Thanks for all that you do at Issues, etc., and keep up the good work. 
Ah, that's very kind of you, Brad. Thanks for the encouragement. And let me encourage you that if you do end up as a pastor, reading that book through once a year will be a huge help to you. I think we started this by me mentioning that my pastor encouraged me to do that many, many years ago, Pastor George Lobine. And uh, it, it's, it's simply a great practice. But you know what? Even if the Lord ends up calling you to another vocation, you will still be greatly blessed by a yearly dip into Walther. It's a great goal. Ahead of Walther, though, be sure to be in your Bible and reading and listening to that often, and also the Lutheran symbols, the Lutheran confessions. And then you'll be hugely resourced for whatever work the Lord places you in. Note that the Treasury of Daily Prayer gives you a way to basically cover the confessions through once a year. Brad and Chloe, send your name and your mailing address to talk back at issuesetc.org. We will send you Law and Gospel, How to Read and Apply the Bible. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. Formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He is author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands, and he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio, called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Todd. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc. on this Monday, we'll kick it off with Pastor Chris Rosebro of Fighting for the Faith, This Week in Pop Christianity. Today, Jensen Franklin is teaching you that it's important not to forget your dream. We'll see how he mangles a few Bible passages in trying to make that point. Then, Noel Maring of the Ethics and Public Policy Center will join us and help us understand the strategies of woke ideology. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. The Third Commandment teaches us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We do this when we hold God's Word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Jesus invites the weak and heavy laden to rest in Him, our true rest, because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. This weekend, rest in Jesus as you hear His Word and receive His gifts. If you are in Southern Illinois, you're invited to join Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt to rest in the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Learn more at trinitymilstadt.org. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.
Did you know that we send out an email each week that details upcoming show topics? It's available for you to include in your weekly church bulletin. Just click the Issues Etc. Journal logo at our homepage, issuesetc.org, and sign up to receive the church bulletin blurb. It's an easy way to invite your fellow parishioners to listen to Issues Etc. Issuesetc.org. Look for the Issues Etc. Journal logo and register to receive a weekly bulletin paragraph from Issues Etc.